Hello everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes, and I am here, as always, with the wonderful Ben. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you, Wes? I'm doing pretty good, yeah. Having a great day. <laughs> uh, but why don't you start us off for the day with what you've been playing recently? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, well, I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast yet, but I finally beat RimWorld. It took a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I finally finished it, um, I want to say maybe like a week or two ago, which I don't think I've ever actually beaten the game before. I've gotten to the end game a couple times, so I never actually beat it. So this was kind of like a something I really wanted to just push through and get to. So at the end of the game, you have this kind of like base that you've built up and you've got food coming in, you've got weapons for your dudes, you got like a pretty good sized party. I think I had eight or nine people. And then you ha- build a spaceship, and that's like the end game. And um, once you build it all, which took absolutely forever, <laughs> because you have to build these advanced components. And I really should have made it so that two people could do that at the same time, but I only had one person doing it. So I was just sitting there waiting for them to do their job every Oof, day. Yeah. And they needed to make like 30 of them. So it took like 30 days or something. It was forever. But, uh, Whatever, I finally did that, got the spaceship, and then once you turn the spaceship on, it takes, I think, 14 days for it to, like, power up, and during those 14 days, you get, like, swarmed. Every day, people attack you. Oh, yikes. And that's, like, the end, right? So, uh, that happened. It's super weird, because I kind of just assumed that maybe in the beginning, it would kind of start you off with, like, not too many people attacking you, and then... When I got closer to when the ship could leave, like you'd get attacked by more and more people and it'd be almost impossible at the end. And I was thinking, okay, I even like built a little zone right around the spaceship so that I can just retreat there and I'll just hold, you know, that last day or whatever if I need to and right. just chill right outside the spaceship instead of kind of outside the perimeter of my base where I usually fight people. And it didn't really happen that way. <laughs> it was kind of like, the same level difficulty of people attacked me for 14 days in a row. Oh, weird. And it's really weird because it's not like all of a sudden all of your guys die. It's more like somebody gets injured and then they can't be there in the next fight because they're healing and then somebody else gets injured and then that person kind of like who was injured first is now good. And you're always like one or two people down. And you kind of like slowly get bled off in a right. way. <laughs> War of attrition kind of thing. Yeah. And it's kind of very strange. And also I assumed that at the end game, you get attacked by people that you've never seen before. Like maybe there'd be a mini boss or something. And like none of that happened. <laughs> it oh. was like every now and then, like some of the days people would attack me with like clubs and arrows and I've got like machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? The only hard part was I had to do a reload one time because a group of enemies like set up their own camp outside my base and then started to like mortar shell me. And I was like, oh, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And I uh, went to attack them and lost. But then I kind of reloaded and that event just didn't happen again. So (laughs) I don't know if I got lucky or what, but. um, Oh, weird. Yeah. It was just kind of strange. So. At the end of 14 days, I think I had six people. So I think two died. 
but uh i had six people and then i left the planet with them and one of my favorite things at the end when the credits roll is that it says in memory of and then it lists all the guys that died on your playthrough (laughs) which (laughs) i thought was awesome yeah yeah and that's the end of the game and i was like man i don't know how i feel about this (laughs) a little anticlimactic yeah i was just it would have been better if you were leaving with some haste, you know, because at the end of the 14 days, like, I think they even stopped attacking me. And I was like, could just leave whenever I felt like it. Right. I would have rather it been like the world's catching on fire and a mini boss comes and you're just trying to hold out until <laughs> that last second and then quick hop in the spaceship and run away. Right, right. Would Make it seem a little like bit more insurmountable odds that you have to fly away from or something. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought that would have been more fun, but. It was just okay. I think my overall impressions of it, I really like the base building aspect and the, you know, being able to control your small group of people and add to that group. And, you know, there's a lot of fun gameplay there, but then I think there's a lot of like weird balancing stuff that I don't like. And there's weird like end game with the caravan system that I've talked about before that I don't like. So it's kind of like a mixed bag. And it seems strange to me that, like, they have a big expansion pack out, but I feel like the end of this game is still, like, not really there. <laughs> but that's just my opinion, I guess. Yeah. Huh. It seems like one of those games where they kind of put an ending on it because they felt like it needed to have an ending, but that's not really the mm-hmm. point. You know what I mean? Like, you need right. a goal that's to a work point. towards, but the sandbox of RimWorld, I feel like, is kind of where it shines. Right, yeah. That's a good point. And the sandbox part, like the the starting of a new game is almost more fun. It's kind of like Minecraft in that way. You could always start a new game and have fun with it again. So Right, yeah. Even with the Ender Dragon, which I know some people really like going up against. For me, I killed it like once and I was like, well, I don't really feel like I never need to do that again in Minecraft. Right. Right. Yeah, it's just different. Um, But yeah, that was my my ending of RimWorld. And I think I'm going to put it on pause for a while kind of move on to something else but uh what have you been up to wes well i have been getting back into risk of rain too uh okay pretty sure i've talked about this before on the podcast but just a brief refresher it's a roguelike game where you have a series of stages and there's a bunch of different characters you can play as and you have to kind of clear each stage get a bunch of items and keep going and going and going into infinity if you want to basically as many stages as you can and they let you get ridiculously overpowered in this game if you want to which is really nice like if you know which items work for your character and you just stack that one item you can just like nuke everything which i think is a good gameplay design choice uh but it's also a co-op game it can be multiplayer so me and a couple of my friends have been playing it and they went into 1.0 release out of alpha i want to say like a year ago now but they keep just adding stuff to the game and it's <laughs> i don't know why i mean i'm happy they are but like they're not selling anything maybe they're working up to a big dlc or maybe they're still making enough cash off the base game that they're like i guess we'll just keep improving it uh so recently they had a big update for i think the anniversary of 1.0 release and they just added like a whole new character which in risk of rain and similar like 
character-based games, like one new character just adds layers and layers of depth to the gameplay because now you've got team comps to think about and stuff like that. Hmm. So they added that and that character, usually there's like a series of challenges that you have to do to unlock a character, but this one was just unlocked right away, which is kind of neat. Everyone got to try it out. And similar to RimWorld, originally this game was just you loop through a series of four stages and then you go back to the first stage, but the difficulty is always increasing and you can just loop those four stages into eternity as long as you survive. But when they went into 1.0, they added an actual ending to it, but it's an optional ending, which is really cool. So you can either like fight this big boss and then the game ends and go through this huge sequence, which is really fun and different than the normal gameplay, which is nice. Uh, it kind of I guess, again, in contrast to RimWorld, it isn't exactly like everything you've done before that. So you're kind of like, oh, this is a weird, unique experience to beat the game. But then they have a bunch of other ways that you could just loop forever or go to a certain stage and do a secret thing and get a bunch of these like in-game currency that you can use for making your runs more crazy and interesting. Um, so I was just really impressed. It had been a while since I'd gone back to play it but they just keep putting stuff in there. I haven't been following the development, so I'm not sure when they're going to say like, hey, okay, this game is 100% done. It's the weirdness of the modern game ecosystem and um, just live service games. It <laughs> Sometimes games live forever and you're like, we only paid you once for this. Are you sure you want to keep making it? But yeah, either way, it's just been super cool very fun to get back into it's a great multiplayer game yeah that's kind of it that's kind of <laughs> i'm just enjoying it i'm amazed by all the stuff that they've been adding nice man sounds awesome who develops that i forget it's kind of somebody that i know i think it's a uh, hapu games oh no i don't know them no, no they might be published by someone bigger i forget um but i think hapu games has pretty much only ever done risk of brain one and risk of brain two as far as i know at least and Risk okay. of Brain 1 is, I've never played it, but it's like a roguelike, but it's 2D. And for mm -hmm. Risk of Brain 2, they were just like, what if we made it a 3D game instead? Which is a very bold choice to make when people like yeah. love your pixel art style and you're like, nah, now it's like chunky 3D characters. But right. I really liked it, at least coming into the series at the second game. Nice, man. That sounds awesome. And uh, for those of you who maybe want to hear music to that game, I actually did music to that game already. Go check out on my YouTube videos. You can hear it. That's right. Pretty early on. <laughs> I know. Must have been the last time you were playing. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get into the special topic? Yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, we have an interesting topic for you guys today. Something that is kind of, I don't know, like in the periphery of the realm of video game history that I hadn't thought about, but Ben brought up this topic and I thought it was great talking about a specific trade show where people are showing off their new games. And the one that we wanted to talk about today, which was going on in the 70s at the time we're talking about now, is the AMOA Expo, which is the Amusement and Music Operators of America trade show. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound completely related to video games, uh, but it kind of shoehorned video games into there like a lot of the stuff as it developed and went on uh, it was pretty much like the premier trade show for arcade cabinets and coin-op games 
in the 70s and early 80s. And it originally started as just the Music Operators of America. That was the organization's original name. After 68 jukebox owners came together in 1948 to try and repeal the jukebox royalty exemption. And so through this whole time period, when the AMOA Expo was going on, uh, it extended, I think, through the 80s and 90s. But at the same time, there was also the American Amusement Machine Association who was doing their own expo called the Amusement Operators Expo. And eventually, in 2009, they joined up with AMOA and combined both their expos to make the Amusement Expo, which is much more simplified. And this expo is actually still going on today. Um, it's more of a thing where investors or people interested in coin-op games and casino games can look at the new up-and-coming stuff and invest and everything like that. Um, that's kind of what it is today. And so at 1978, where we are now, the AMOA Expo is still very important. Two of the biggest coin-op magazines of the time, Replay and Playmeter Magazine, sent journalists to these expos to take a look at the new arcade games that were coming out from all the companies and rate them and write articles about them uh, just to get everyone excited about them and show people what they should buy and what the new exciting game was. Really, it was just this super important expo in gaming that all the companies could go to and show off this is the cool new arcade cabinet that is going to make you tons of money. Um, that's pretty much the info I was able to find on it. Do you have any other interesting tidbits for us, Ben? Yeah, I've got some tidbits, some <laughs> things here and there. Uh, the main thing that I just want everybody to take away from this is that there's a trade show going on and it's really big. I mean, every year in it's like late October, early November, this trade show happens and we get tons of new arcade releases right around that time. So for example, in the 78 show, Atari announced Orbit at the show, which is a game I reviewed, I think, maybe two weeks ago. But, you know, Atari has had a history of unveiling awesome stuff at this show. Stuff like Sprint 4 and Canyon Bomber. Um, they also will showcase a lot of old games, a lot of games that aren't even out yet. They're just kind of like in the prototype form or they're, you know, still like getting ready to be released. So some games that are coming out in 79 are at this show in 78. So it's just like this really important moment where every company kind of puts their best foot forward and tries to showcase what they're capable of. A lot of even small companies, stuff like Merco Games, I know I see a lot of images and, and articles about their games specifically related to this trade show because they're there. So if you want to find like a picture of like their head of the company like he's at the show <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of like great photos and stuff from these shows but surprisingly not a lot of information compared to like what's being offered uh, i think that's mainly has to do with a couple things i think wes and i already kind of talked about and mentioned it but it doesn't seem like this was like a general public kind of show it seemed like it was more right. like a for those people looking to distribute games and whatnot. And also, I think you have to keep in mind that games journalism, even though we have play meter and replay, is not what it is today. <laughs> you know, it was probably like a small part of their job and not, they, there wasn't like 
a team of 20 people interviewing <laughs> game developers, you know, every day for three days straight, which is what it is today. So, right. Exactly. I think that has a, has something to do with it, but, uh, yeah, I also wanted to quickly mention this isn't the only show. So I actually found a list of all the shows Sega attended, like in their whole history, which is kind of crazy. Um, they didn't attend the 78 AMOA show, but they will attend next year, and they have attended in years prior. But um, some of the other shows that are currently around during this time, you have the Amusement Trades Exhibition, also abbreviated as 8, which is great. <laughs> The one that Sega did attend this year was the Amusement Machine Show, which is a trade show located in Japan. So obviously that makes a lot of sense for them. And I'm sure Nintendo was there and every other big Japanese company was there. Um, also the American Coin Machine Exposition. I've seen a lot of uh, references to that one too, which always confuses me because every one of these start with the letter A. So it gets really confusing. <laughs> And a lot of them have the letter M in there, too. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of trade shows. And it, it always means for us, I always think about it. Because, like, right when that, like, end of October, November hits, man, it's like a bunch of great games just pop up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we've covered a lot of those games, and we will continue to cover those games. But uh, it's just a really interesting little part of history that often gets overlooked, I think, because... What the show has become today is like not at all what it was, and uh, video game shows today are so much different from what it was. And it's like different people running it. You know, you got E3 and stuff today, so it's different. But um, it's interesting to see where it started, and it all started with this AMOA show, which was big for all companies, and so not just like the big ones like Atari and Midway, who of course were there, but even really small companies like Ramtech and you know, nutting associates back in the day, like they were still going to these shows. So super interesting and uh, something you guys should be aware of. What do you think, Wes? Should we go into the games now? We have a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, take a quick break and get right into our timeline. Hello and welcome back from that musical interlude of some description. Right. <laughs> uh, we've got a bit of a weird one for you guys today. So I wanted to see how many episodes of 78 we have left. And I realized if I put a bunch of games in today's episode, we could fit the rest of 78 into four episodes, including today's. So just three remaining, which is kind of crazy. But it meant that this episode had to be really packed. <laughs> And so Wes and I only reviewed one game each, and we have a lot of honorable mentions. Some 27, in fact. <laughs> so uh, let's just get it going. Oh, yeah. 
All right, we're going to start out here with Sideshow. This is from Muse Software. So as soon as I see Muse, I'm like really interested. Since they did Maze Games, Silas Warner is there. I mean, we got some some hope of that studio. <laughs> but uh, this one was just a collection of six Apple II games, including Blockade, Quadrapong, and a lockpicking game, which does sound cool, but um, honestly, we didn't have much info for it. And... Uh, chose not to review it because we've got a lot to do today so <laughs> moving on after that we've got pirates i did want to mention this one a little bit longer than than usual um it's by don graham and programma international i have seen some dates for 79 for it but uh we're just going to cover it now i have seen more dates for it in 78 it's an angle guessing math game you know shooting game so that's like kind of eh, i'm really not interested in that but the graphics for it are actually kind of amazing. <laughs> it's like oh, okay. um, it's like a full scene of a pirate ship on one side. You've got water beneath you, a sky, and then on the other side is a fort and a cannon on top of the fort. And so you're controlling the cannon. You have to try to kill the pirate guy. And the pirate is shooting shells into your fort. And whenever you guess your angle or whatever, the cannonball comes out and we'll hit the pirate ship, and if you hit it just right, there's a couple like key spots in it where the sails will fall down and break. So the pirate ship has like three tiers of sails, each getting smaller as it goes up, like a normal ship would look like. And you can actually kind of target them and knock them down. And you have to knock down all three sails, and then I think you win. You might have to like hit the boat actually once too. I'm not totally sure. And then the boat just hits you in the same place over and over again. I think it's just like, a, you know, you have to kill the ship before like five shots of your of the enemy boat, which is always the same. So that part is kind of boring, but um, it's kind of really interesting looking. It uses a lot of color, um, despite it being a angle-guessing game, essentially. There's more imagery going on than there is text, and I really much, very much appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> including like a fail and win kind of little animation, which is cool. So yeah, I thought that one was worth a little extra mention just because the graphics are pretty cool. Definitely. And uh, next up we have Tunnel Vision and Cat and Mouse by Michael Riley. Uh, this was for the Commodore Pet and may have also been for the TRS-80 as well. Uh, but it was a sort of like escape from a maze style game with first person vector style graphics, which is pretty cool. The maze is empty though, there's nothing in it. Or you could play it in the cat and mouse mode where you had a cat that's chasing you, but now it's a top down maze game kind of thing. Um, so nothing too, too revolutionary there. Get the cat to follow me in first person and then we'll be talking. I know. <laughs> I was like, why are we in top down though? <laughs> All right, moving on, we got Soft Pack number one. This is for the Soul 20. It included a bunch of cool games, including Star, Blackjack, Craps War, Smart Mouth Blackjack, which sounds funny, Droids, and um, this was by, the pack was by ESV Computer Services. We know it was advertised, but we don't really have much evidence of the code itself, so we definitely could not play this one. And the next one is another extended honorable mention we have android nim which is this super weird game but as soon as we started doing research in like 77 and 78 i saw this name keep popping up and i'm like why is this game 
so popular. It's got Nim mm-hmm. in the title, so I was a little worried. Uh, <laughs> but this version specifically is by Leo Christofferson. Originally, he made it for the TRS-80, although it was either in late 78 or early 79, ported to the Commodore PET as well. But it is basically just Nim. It was originally released in the 80 US journal for $8 on cassette. Uh, so, you know, it's got to do something pretty good to be a Nim game for $8, I feel like. It was also Leo Christofferson's first game that he made for the TRS-80, and he will apparently make a couple more for the system. And he actually made it to teach his students binary, allegedly. The first version didn't have any sound, but there are some wacky sounds that get added to it later. But getting down to the base gameplay, it is just Nim. You're removing a select amount of things from a row and trying to make sure the computer doesn't beat you and that you're the person who removes the last thing in a row. But those things is what makes this game interesting because everything on the screen is an android, this little goofy blocky looking robot. But they have these fantastic animation for a TRS-80 in 1978. They look side to side, up and down, they move their mouths like they're talking to each other and they all do it at sort of random intervals. So there's so much movement on the screen. The whole time you're deciding how many androids to take from each row, they just like all moving and interacting with each other in this really weirdly dynamic way to see on a computer game at this time. And then there's also three androids at the head of each row that execute your decisions and destroy however many androids you selected. Uh, So they'll actually uh, pick their arm up when you select, I want to get rid of three androids in the first row and shoot them with a laser beam. But before they do that, once you give the command, the android at the head of the row actually looks directly like straight on, like it's looking at you, nods up and down, says, okay, I got the command, and then looks over. All the other androids look at the row that's going to be shot, and the ones that are in that row look at the guy who's about to shoot them, and then it shoots them all. <laughs> it's like this super weird interaction, but it's just very iconic for how weird it is. And I think that's why this has lasted in people's memories, even though it's just you know, Nim. When you get down to it, it's just fancy looking Nim. The original version also apparently had some quirks, like the computer would sort of pretend to cheat once it knows that you're going to win the game. Like once it statistically can't, it would like make fake moves and then take them back, I guess. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it would insult you when you win. It had just like this list of hilariously offensive in like goofy ways, like bovine, like calling you a cow. Um, it just had to like list those words that it would randomly string together and say like somehow you won at the end of it. <laughs> so it's just this super weird and unique game. Uh, it's got this really fun energy to it, and eventually it is ported over to the Commodore Pet by Don Dennis uh, with slightly worse animations, but really cool laser noises for whenever the androids shoot. So I'm sure we'll see more of this popping up, but that's what Android Nim is. It's basically Nim with hilarious, weird Android graphics. <laughs> And then next up, we have Galaxy Games for the pet. Seems like a target shooting game or maybe a set of target shooting games, but really we only saw ads for it. We don't have too much more information on it. Yep. Uh, moving on, we've got Ultra Trek 2 by Alan Kletz. Looks like just another version of Star Trek. I tried to play it, but it was bugged out in the emulator. So, you know. Not much to say on that one. <laughs> um, then we have one called Tiger Shark. This is by The Bottom Shelf. It's a simple ASCII graphics shooting game 
where you could put the English on your bullet, but it was basically like, you know, one of those planes is kind of flying up above or sub or something, and you're just kind of hitting it. So very plain, no sound effects, but uh, it was fun to put the English on it. Always is. <laughs> and then next we have Super Sub by Michael Winter. This is for the TRS-80, and it's a simple shooting game that's sort of like Space Invaders, but if there's only one invader and lots of barriers on the screen um basically you can move around and shoot but you can also be shot at and then we have racer by dag which is just a simple black and white grand track 10 style racing game uh, you have momentum which makes it pretty hard to steer but since it is on the trs 80 it has rca studio 2 looking graphics which is not great <laughs> yep. Um, which is different from this next one. Also TRS-80. This one's also by the bottom shelf, which did Tiger Shark, which I just mentioned. This is the one I reviewed this week. Um, so Doomsday is basically... Do you remember a while ago, Wes, you played this Star Wars one where you were like in the trench and you had to dodge some TIE fighters and then you know throw the bomb in the trench. It was like that trench yeah. scene from Star Wars. Yeah, But it yeah. wasn't too good, right? Not so much. <laughs> this is like that, but if it was actually done right. Ooh. <laughs> so it's really cool. It's um, there's no real combat or like people chasing you, you know, no TIE fighters here, but it's literally you in the trench and you're just kind of dodging and weaving all these obstacles that are coming at you. It's basically a dodging game, but it's themed in the Star Wars, you know, you have to get to the end and, and, hit your fire button or whatever and throw a missile in and you win the game. It was, you know, very clearly just Star Wars, but they made it generic. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really interesting because you really feel like you're in that trench kind of experience and you're dodging and weaving. And when you get to the end, you see that uh, it, it kind of slows down a little bit too at the end. So you have a second to think and you see the end of the wall pop up and there's a little place you have to be at and you hit your fire button and it, you know, kind of everything explodes, which is great. So it's the real trench experience, which I really liked. And uh, <laughs> despite the fact that it's on the TRS-80, it runs pretty fast. And it's like the perfect kind of difficulty where it was hard and I would die a lot. But I, uh, you also get a couple lives, you know, so you can die a couple times. So I won the first time I played it and then I lost the second time I played it because I tried it at a harder difficulty, which I think just gives you less lives. <laughs> but uh, it's a pretty fun kind of trench-based game. where you, It's just a dodging game at the end of the day. We've seen that before, like on the 2600, I think there's been dodging games, but none kind of themed like you're in the Death Star. And what really makes you feel like you're in the trench is that the sides of the trench are stylized so that it kind of gives you that death star feeling i don't know it's just like blocks you know blocky graphics but uh it definitely gets the feeling across you know you're at this kind of open area in the middle and there's two huge kind of just blocky chunks that are moving because it's using scrolling graphics but in a way where you're not really moving it's kind of at the top of the screen and things are coming at you right so it's really interesting it's like a combination of a couple things that we've seen before uh, with that theming that we've been hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little strange because you're at the top and going down instead of, I think that was the same as your game actually was, but I, maybe you could remind me, but 
Um, yeah. Instead of at the bottom going up, which is strange, but yeah, it's cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, but there's not too much to say, I guess. So why don't I get into my ratings? I'll say the rest there. Because uh, I did rate this one. Let's start out with the good stuff, the gameplay. I quite enjoyed it. It's like I mentioned, the challenge is just right, you know, for me. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on and the game moves pretty quickly. So it feels like pretty responsive. So I gave the gameplay a 2.25 out of 10. You know, it's not like crazy good, but I definitely enjoyed it for what it was. For graphics, I gave that just a 1.75 out of 10. It's all black and white, very blocky. There's definitely kind of an ASCII-ness going on with the graphics, because like when you die, you know, it'll be like a bunch of asterisks kind of popping up for the explosion. But I really don't mind it, and I'm just glad that there's not like text where I have to type in my acceleration or something <laughs> stupid right. like that. Yeah. Like it's just like a game, which is awesome. <laughs> By the way, the steering of the ship is a little strange too. You have a button that's moved to the left, you have a button that's moved to the right, and then you have a button called Stabilize, which will make it so you stop moving in those directions. Hmm. So it's a little different than you would think, but you get used to it pretty quick, and I didn't mind it. You know, it just felt like part of the game to me. And then you've got a fire button, which only works at the very end. Speaking of that very end, when you do win, the missile that you shoot is not just like a little blip, it's like a laser beam. <laughs> <laughs> that goes and the whole the whole game kind of stops because i think it, at that point it knows that you've won and it's almost more like a cinematic or something so this laser beam kind of fires out and i think it says like the forces of good have won or something like that <laughs> <laughs> super good so yeah the graphics like they're not terrible but uh they're also somewhat basic there is a slight also i want to say hiccup with the refresh rate I mentioned it's pretty fast and it is pretty fast, but it is also like, you know, it's there and then new frame and the new frame and the new frame, like it's fast, but it's not just like fluid. So right. there's a little bit of that. It can kind of hurt your eyes a little bit after some time. But uh, despite that, you know, for considering this is a TRS-80, this is one of the higher <laughs> frame rate games that I've played. So I was definitely impressed with it. For sound, I have I had to give it a zero because it had no sound. The TRS-80 emulator we use has these little clicks in the background when you start it up and stuff, but that's not part of the game, so it's just zero. And then for relevance, I had to give this a three out of ten because I don't think anybody knows about this game. <laughs> or uh, the bottom shelf has made a lot of games actually, like a fair amount. I mean, Tiger Shark I mentioned before, and I've seen them around. So they're not like a small company. They're making games, but I don't think they're making like that next big game. I could be wrong, but um, right. you know, they're, they're more just like a bunch of really small games kind of studio. It's not like uh, the, the guys that do text adventures or something that could just really blow up, you know, but um, these are all very contained, relatively simple programs, but are just like well executed. So yeah, that that's Doomsday. For the overall rating, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. It's good. I didn't hate it, but it's uh, it's also lacking in terms of the graphics and no sound hurts. Black and white, I guess it can get away with because you're in space. <laughs> it also right. would have been fun to um, to like shoot the obstacles of, that come at you, kind of like if you had some sort of gun on your spaceship. But uh, you don't, you know, you're just dodging and weaving. So it can right. get boring after a time, I guess. 
What do the uh, the opposing obstacles look like in that? They're just like kind of squares, but okay. They're it's weird. They're not always like just filled in. Like sometimes they're they have like these um segments in them that kind of can break them up in a way where it doesn't all just look like I don't know a snake is coming at you or something. They kind of right, have right. some different looking squares coming at you, so it looks a little bit more interesting. <laughs> but uh. I guess they're supposed to be like uh, asteroids or something. I don't know. <laughs> not TIE fighters, though. Definitely not TIE fighters. Your ship does look kind of cool. It's just a Y, but it, it actually looks pretty nice, I think. Very cool. I mean, it definitely has the, the shape of a spaceship. So, yeah. It's simple, but it works. Yeah. And that was the same thing with the Star Wars uh, trench game I played. It was very simple, but the TIE Fighters were H's and the X-Wing was an X. So it's like, well, you know, I mean, they're right. Like, yeah, I can't. <laughs> <you're> right. <laughs> Although I remembered after you said the uh, top down going up the screen, except this one was going from top to bottom. One of the weird things that was a cool choice, but didn't end up working out for the previous game I played is that it was like behind the X-Wing going straight oh, down the right. trench instead of top down. So I think this kind of lends itself to that gameplay a little bit better when you get that top-down view mm -hmm. yeah it definitely had that trench star wars kind of feeling to it and I, I definitely enjoyed that part nice very cool and always good to see somebody actually change the name and not just say hey this is star wars <laughs> uh, <laughs> it did say may the force be with you <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> they got to get it in there somewhere, I guess, in case someone didn't get the hint that this is, in fact, a Star Wars game. <laughs> yeah. But next, let's take a look at the game or games, I should say, that I reviewed today. And this is a group of four games by Peter Trifonis. We don't really know, though, how these games existed as a group. Uh, we have this fantastic website for TRS-80, which both has a gigantic list of everything that ever came out on the TRS-80 and when, and also an emulator built into it that you can just click on the game, it'll emulate it for you. So this came up as the file just being called Four Games, and it's by Peter Trifonis, but we don't know if it was in C-Load Magazine, where a lot of these TRS-80 games were, if it was sold as a cassette, uh, but either way, there's this group of games that somehow existed together and uh, there's actually five in there, which makes the whole thing even more confusing. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so let me just give a brief overview of what all these games are before I get into my ratings for them. Uh, the first game is called Hustle, which I believe we've seen other Hustle games before. This is a snake game. There's large blocks that show up on the screen and they stay on the screen for a while but then they actually disappear if you don't get to them fast enough and you get a longer tail if you hit them uh, so pretty much straight up a snake game in the purest sense like the actual snake game that we played today and it looks like the points for each block might be randomized as well i couldn't tell if it was increasing as i went but a number flashed after each one that i got and i also couldn't tell to be honest if the tail grew a set length or a different length based on how many points each block was. So there might be some slight variations in there, but it is basically just a snake game. You can 
go forever unless you hit your own tail or you hit a wall. The next one is called Ready, Aim, Fire. This is a simple and, boy do I mean simple, bombing game. Uh, it's up to four players, but as far as I could tell, it looks like each player takes a turn entering a horizontal point. There's like this uh, line going across the screen, which basically looks like the side of a football field. It has like 10, 20, 50, and you just enter the number. Bomb will drop at that point, but the target you're trying to hit is just always going back and forth at a consistent rate. So you just have to time when you drop it to hit the target, and there's only one target, uh, which is a little strange, but <laughs> that's basically it. And it also seems like, at least in the emulator, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is actually how the base game worked. When a projectile goes down, misses, and then comes back up, the game pauses while you decide where you want it to land. So it's not even really like you're hitting a target in motion. You just kind of have to be like, well, if I hit this point, it should be there by then. And eventually, I'm sure you could just totally figure it out. Uh, but then next up, we have SAM Missile, uh, Surface to Air Missile. Thank you, Call of Duty Games, for teaching, teaching me what that acronym means. Uh, and basically, it is just a very simple version of TARG. You can shoot in about five different directions, so it doesn't simplify it like we've seen with other games where you can only go left, right, and center. This one, you have each, actually have two uh, degrees to the left, two degrees to the right, and center that you can shoot. But there's also only one opposing plane that goes across the screen to hit. It just goes left to right, it doesn't change direction, and it goes the same speed throughout the game. Uh, you get 20 shots to shoot the plane as many times as you can, and then you get points based on that. They do have the option to uh, select which type of plane you want to go up against at the beginning, but that just determines how fast it goes. It doesn't change how the plane looks at all. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry I'll, I'll get my disappointment out there once i get to my ratings uh and then next up there was shooting gallery which is as you would expect a simple shooting gallery game but i did want to say in this there actually are some nice static like duck visuals ducks to shoot these weird faces which maybe were supposed to be clowns um but those i guess because they were static and they were pretty large on the screen they could make look pretty good but it is still just a shooting gallery game and this did have a note in it that it might not have worked if you got the cassette version but only if you bought it on disc or something like that i wasn't too sure if that was an emulator note or an original note but either way it was just pretty simple shooting gallery game and then the last the fifth game on the four games uh pack is bowling alley which is a top-down timing based bowling game we've seen things like this before the ball kind of goes up and down across the screen you hit enter and then the ball bowls from where it is and you just kind of do your timing to get to get a strike and if you get your timing down you can get a strike every time i did want to say though uh every single time i got a spare it was four pins in a diagonal line which i'm sure is possible but i don't think is a very common <laughs> spare uh and to pick up that spare you just had to hit the first pin in the right angle and then you are led to believe that the pin knocks over the other three in the straight line there's no real curveballs in this but it does let you at the beginning of the game decide whether you bowl straight or if you bowl with a hook so i guess that changes when you would want to stop the ball if you bowl with a the hook then it would always hook left or something like that 
So that's the basic breakdown of what this game pack is. Now let's get into the exciting part, my ratings. Uh, and well, yeah, let's just get started. Uh, for graphics, I gave it a 0 0.5 out of 10. The TRS-80 can do pretty crazy things like with Android NIM, but that's because not a lot is really moving on screen. And these games don't really do much to make use of the TRS-80's capabilities. Uh, there's some okay character graphics in SAM Missile. It's much like Targ, where it has the plus signs and equal signs and carrots to denote what the enemy ship is that you're shooting at. But it's very simple. It doesn't have the flickering dollar sign and asterisks or whatever it was to look like an engine. And the bullet is just this very quick moving little rectangle. And since there's only one of those ships on screen at a time, that's not super exciting. Shooting Gallery does have some decent images, but that's about it. There's smooth movement in Hustle, the snake game. So I do want to give it compliments there, like the snake isn't jittering all over the screen. But it's still just all very simple in all these games and just in black and white. I do appreciate that since there are five games, there's a variety of visuals between all of the games. But even altogether, they're still very bland. And with all these games, like Ben mentioned with his, anytime something interesting happens in these games, like you eat a dot as a snake or hit a target in Sam, the game has to kind of like pause and refresh the whole screen and then start again. Uh, so it sort of takes your momentum when it's like, oh, I just ate a dot. Okay, wait a sec. Okay, now I'm playing again. That graphical element kind of threw me off there. For sounds, I gave it 0.5 out of 10. I think, for whatever reason, there were only sounds in Hustle. There was this series of short clicks whenever you hit a target, uh, which is fine, but if you had a series of short clicks, why not make that the gunshot sound in basically every other game, you know? Or, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or the pins falling down in Bowling Alley. Uh, unless I totally missed it, but I'm pretty sure those were the only sounds. And even if those were in every single one of the games, they were not very exciting and there wasn't much variety. For gameplay, I gave it a 0 0.75 out of 10. Uh, really the only saving grace in this whole group of games for me is Hustle. I like Snake games and it plays pretty smoothly, which is always a relief on the TRS-80. But as for the other ones, SAM Missile is just boring. You're only shooting one target, and it moves the same speed and the same direction across the screen. Shooting Gallery is okay, but I mean, it's just a shooting gallery game with not many moving targets. Most of them are all static. For that one, is it like a like you're aiming a single gun? Yeah. How do you shoot in that one? You're looking directly at, as if you were like standing at an actual shooting gallery, and then you have a cursor on the screen, which is like a flashing plus sign, I think. And you move that around with arrow keys and then shoot. Oh, okay. It's a little different. It is a little bit different, yeah. But again, almost everything that looks good on the screen can look good because it's just static. I think there's mm -hmm. one thing that moves where it's like this kind of looks like a ship from SAM missile, except it says like the amount of points is worth in the center of it. Um, so there's a little bit of something there, but even then I the controls were a little bit weird moving it around with the arrow keys to shoot. As for bowling, it's just timing based. Uh, it's fun for a little bit, but 
if you figure out the timing to get a strike, you can get a strike every single time, uh, which maybe is the point, but it wasn't too much fun for me. Ready, aim, fire was super weird. The bombing game, because it was just so slow. Pauses every time that you miss, and then you just kind of like wait, pick your number, and then see if it hits, and then wait for it to pause again if you miss. Uh, maybe it'd be a little bit more competitive with more players, but I didn't like it. And considering they had a character graphics ship and sand missile, I was really surprised that the target was just a line in Ready Aim Fire. Uh, so that wasn't too good. But even with Hustle being the best thing on this, there is some kind of weird gameplay going on with it. It has this strange effect, which must have to do with the way it was rendered on screen, where you move slower when you're going sideways than when you're going vertically. <laughs> and it might have just been an optical illusion. Maybe it just looked like it because the snake looked longer when it was going down the screen. But either way, it just kind of made it feel not as smooth as a normal snake game. So then moving on to relevance, I only gave it a 2 out of 10 here. Uh, Peter Trifonis has made, and I believe will continue to make, a few games for the TRS-80, but these games in particular aren't super relevant. It might be bringing some new games to the TRS-80 that we haven't seen on this computer before, but I'm almost positive we've seen pretty much all these games done on other computers before. Uh, so it's nice to see them on the TRS-80, but I don't think they're super relevant. And overall, that left me with a 0.75 out of 10. It's an okay bundle of games for the TRS-80. Hustle's really the standout, and the other ones are okay. Two of them kind of suck, uh, but they do play all right. And even though they don't look great and there isn't much sound to speak of, I, I don't know. I, I kind of just hope all this code was available for free in C-Load and not a cassette, because other than Hustle, it was not too impressive for me. <laughs> right yeah it's the, i feel like it's the kind of thing like if they were all separate we wouldn't review it right but since they were all together i was like oh maybe this is you know that they, they, they each at least seem kind of different from one another i was like oh maybe we'll be okay <laughs> yeah well and as a pack they are all aside from sort of like the bombing game and the bowling game mm -hmm. they're all pretty different so it is a at least a nice variety that you're getting but you know Computers are a little bit behind for the most part from arcade games, but this just feels like too little too late. <laughs> I feel like it's probably one of those deals where it's like, if they're all trash, then it just looks like you got, you got more trash now. It's not like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I see it. I'd rather buy a cheaper version and just get Hustle. Like, <laughs> Right. Which I'm sure you could do probably. But let's move on. We got another, I don't know, like... 12, 15 games did go through quick. So, um, but we're just going to honorable mention all these rest of them. We're going to start here with 24 tested, ready to run game programs in BASIC, which was a book by the company Tab Books, which came out in November of 78. I couldn't play any of these games. We just have the PDF of like the book, but I wasn't able to find really much info on them. But some of the ones that sounded interesting in there were ones called Sync the Bismarck. Capture the Alien, Star Warp, Bomb Disposal Squad, and Auto Rally, but uh, we couldn't play those. Then this next one is kind of important. It's called Time Trek by uh, Personal Software is probably the biggest one. It was kind of by a bunch of different people. 
It's weird. I looked it up and there's actually two different versions. There's one for the TRS-80 which came out first, and then there's one for the Commodore PET which will come out next year. So we're just going to look at the TRS-80 version right now. But um, I checked into it. It seems like a pretty normal version of Star Trek, but it had semi-real-time combat, which did look interesting. But I don't know. I wasn't feeling Star Trek and uh, there's no sound effects and it's all black and white graphics, you know, TRS-80 style. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> We've seen uh, <laughs> some pretty cool Star Treks at this point. And uh, unless they're making like massive changes, I mean... Semi-real-time combat is kind of a big change, but uh, I'm sure people will continue iterating on that um, at a better time other than this episode. <laughs> For sure. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's move on to our next big group of honorable mentions. We're going to be taking a look at Cursor Magazine number five, which was the November issue of Cursor. And Cursor Magazine, just a reminder, is all Commodore pet games. So all this next section that we're going to be talking about is for the Commodore Pet. First up, we have D-Ship, which is just another battleship game, but you could play against the computer in this one. And then we also have Hanoi by Glenn Fisher, which is just an animated version of the Towers of Hanoi stacking puzzle type game. Yep, then we got H-Man. I don't know why this issue, they're just like, let's just remove a bunch of Abbreviate everything, yeah. (laughs) H-Man, uh... Also by Glenn Fisher, it's Hangman. You could add your own words to the code, but I couldn't find any pictures or video to see what the visuals looked like on that one. And similarly, the last one here, Shoot by Gary Brainbridge. It's a shooting a gun at a falling target kind of game. Sounds like a timing-based game, but uh, again, we only had code, so it was really hard to know exactly what it did. But always interesting to see Cursor Magazine, and I think that's the last we're going to see of them this year. So we're wrapping up the pet games. Yeah, and then let's move on to some arcade games that we have here. We have GT Block Challenger, which was by Sun Electronics and Jifutoki. This came out in December. That's right, you heard it right. We're in December now of 1978. Uh, And this is a clone of Breakout or Super Breakout by Atari, but we don't have too much info on it. Yep, continuing on with that, we've got Limbo by Universal. Again, came out in December of 78. It was some sort of Pong or Pinball kind of hybrid game, which we've seen a lot of. I did see like images of this on the flyers and stuff, but no video or emulation, so we couldn't really re- review it. And then next up, we have Senkan Yamato. Yeah, sure. Uh, by Sega. <laughs> this is a Space Invaders type game, but you control a battleship with three turrets on it. Sounds pretty sweet. I would like to see that, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, we don't know too much more about it. I know these freaking early Sega games. Somebody I, emulate them, please. <laughs> they all sound cool. Everyone loves Sega. How have we not done these yet? <laughs> I know. They must be lost or something. Yeah. Another Sega one here, Space Fighter by Sega and Data East, also in December. Another clone of Space Invaders that added some changing colors and unique sprites. We don't have too much on it. We also then have Space Micon Kit also called Micon Kit 3 by SNK, which came out in December. I have seen a date for October for this one and an alternate title called The Game Machine, but it looks very identical to Micon Kit 2, which was a breakout clone with with obstacles in there. And next we have Super Break 2 by Nihon Busan, AB Japan, and Data East. And this looks like a version of Breakout again. (laughs) <laughs> but with barriers added this time. 
Uh, so a little bit more interest there. And then this last one for the arcade games for today is Castling by Sega. Now, I really, really wanted to do this one because the flyer for it and some of the descriptions for it just look awesome. It looks so unique. Basically, it's a kind of game where you have to break into a castle and kill the king, which Ooh. sounds awesome. And the, yeah. the graphics for it looked really interesting and just different. But... There's no video, there's no emulation, so what are we? What can we do? <laughs> ah. I would have loved to have played that one. I think that one sounds really cool. So if anybody knows about castling, please email us or something. And we'll, we'll go back and do it. Like, I'm serious about it. So. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. It gets me itching for those, like, very early uh, Super Nintendo, like, the first Prince of Persia type game. Mm-hmm. You're creeping around and, like, going screen to screen. Who knows? Hopefully someday. We'll know if castling was like that. (laughs) I think it does evolve into something else. I'm going to say maybe a game called Fortress or something, but we'll we'll know more next year, I guess. Very cool. Well, let's move on now to Byte Magazine for December. Uh, Just a few games in here. We have Tic-Tac-Toe with a twist, which was Tic-Tac-Toe that didn't play perfectly so you could actually win. Uh, (laughs) So that's kind of nice, I guess, because... One of the weird things about tic-tac-toe is if you just like memorize how to win, you always win. So <laughs> might be more fun for somebody who doesn't know as much about the game to play it. And then next up we have Rocket Program, which basically just looked like a simplified version of Space Invaders. Mm-hmm. But it was for computers, so I guess it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the last one in the issue was 1D Life, which... It's exactly what it sounds like. It was basically the game of life, but only on one row. So mm. if you can imagine, it was basically just like a, a one row grid where like you would put in a series of some of those cells being colored in and then you'd let it go. And then, you know, they would kind of come on and turn off but in just one row. So <laughs> not that interesting to me, but probably interesting for like mathematicians and stuff. <laughs> I'm sure someone out there got a kick out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then our last uh, honorable mention for the day, we have the Kilobod November and December magazine. Really, there's nothing important in this one, though, except for a game called Spelling Bee, which was a spelling game that used audio files to read the words aloud. Uh, there also was in this an ad from Instant Software for Casino 1 and Casino 2 which were just blackjack, roulette, and craps, and games like that with nice graphics. Yep, but that'll do it um, for the Kilobod Magazine for the year and for us for today. <laughs> nice, so we, we did 29 games there, which is crazy. And that doesn't even include your five games in one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the highlights to me were probably Pirates, Android Nim, Doomsday, which I reviewed four games, which you reviewed, which was five games. Oh, time trek and castling are kind of bigger ones in there as well but uh yeah that that was a lot but (laughs) kind of puts us in a good spot because next week we're going to be looking at a brand new second gen console again so (laughs) i'm very excited about that absolutely crazy how many of these we're seeing at the end of the year and we are getting to the end of the year only a few episodes left before we are done 1978 It's an exciting time because 1979 is shaping up to look pretty cool as well. Yeah. 
So with that, uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter for announcements about when our episodes are going up or if we're not going to have an episode for a week. Check out our website for updated information about the timeline of everything we've covered so far. It's a lot to remember just listening to it, but if you're interested in the information, we always put stuff up there so you can learn about the publishers, the games, and even our ratings for a lot of the games as well. And make sure to send us an email if you have any questions or if you know anything about castling, because uh, boy, do we want to know that early Sega history. <laughs> yep. And uh, with that, we'll catch you next week. See you all next time.